from the lab in a sense to taking roles underneath these people you were mentoring from acupuncture to yoga, meditation. What kind of backlash did you get from the people you worked with and what was going on in your head during that process? Very interesting because I went as a skeptic. So I understood and appreciated their skepticism. But I will tell you that I had two very different responses from the people I did talk to, because my mentors, the people who were above my pay grade, if you will, I felt an obligation to tell them what I was discovering. Welcome to your transformation station. Station. Socrates once wrote, the secret of change is to focus all of your energy not on fighting the old, but on building the new. It's time to rediscover your true identity and purpose on this planet. Together, we can transform our community one topic at a time. From groundbreaking performers, making their elixir your dose of reality, your transformation arc. This is your transformation station, and this is your host, Greg Favaza. You've done a lot of great work. You've published over 100 different articles. You quit your day job, essentially, and now kind of going against it by looking at, looking at everything you've done in the past and realize, essentially, you were wrong. Well... Let me suggest a slight modification. Of course. Through an act of grace, I ended up in medicine and science. Yes, sir. Another act of great good fortune, I receive a public health service commission at the National Institutes of Health. Every year I was there, we introduced a method that has become the standard and most of them continuing to be used. Yes, sir. With 19 years seniority, I resigned. Yes, sir. Because over the time that I was in Bethesda, based at the National Institutes of Health, I went to debunk acupuncture in Chinese medicine, and I met Queen Nuan Wu, and I had a seven-year apprenticeship with him. Because he could achieve things with his post-diagnosis, non-invasive techniques, and some needles, hair-fine needles, he could achieve results that at NIH we couldn't get. Then I went to debunk Ramamurti Mishra, the guy who wrote the textbook of yoga psychology, because I wanted to debunk yoga. Yes, sir. And I became his student and eventually became his doctor. So out of my ignorance, I graduated from what I would say is a reductionist, mechanistic, fatally flawed model. So it wasn't that I gave up on academic medicine. It gave me a way of thinking. It gave me a way of uh, being more objective, of witnessing as well as participating. And yes, I see today many needs for the training of health professionals that remain unmet. When you go to your doctor today, your conventional doctor, 
or even your holistic integrative doctor. Very often, they want to make sure they get the label right, they get the diagnosis correct. And very often, what I say is, you're an individual. I'm not sure the diagnosis exactly applies to you. And most often, people have a sigh of relief because the diagnosis itself is distressing. Because usually the diagnosis means something bad. It's very rare for a diagnosis to mean, oh boy, are you healthy? So some of us, and there are a growing number of us, who have decent academic resumes and backgrounds, who have graduated into a back-to-the-future approach, where we look at a whole person, not a bunch of parts. And we look for causes, not consequences. We look upstream at who you are and what your habits of daily living are. Because it turns out those habits of daily living, which we technically call epigenetics, everything that's not your DNA is epigenetic, and that's what you can influence. So if you want to add years to life, if you want to add life to years, then I think there's value in listening to people like me who come out of an academic background, are grateful for what I learned in Bethesda and at Boston University, while at the same time feeling the need to urge my colleagues to do post-post-post-graduate training the way I did, get cross-trained. I know a lot of doctors who would like to look at the causes, nutritional, environmental, attitudinal, whatever they may, transgenerational, whatever they may be. They would like to, but if you talk to them, they will freely tell you it's not what they were trained to do. They were trained to do procedures or they were trained to make the diagnosis. And as I've indicated, I think one of the best things that could happen in American medicine today is give up on diagnosis and let's look at the essentials. Let's look at the things your body cannot make that it needs and individually how much do you need of the good stuff. And yes, we're marinating a sea of toxins and there's a lot of bad stuff out there, but you can reduce by about 80% your exposure to the bad stuff. You can dramatically increase your intake of the good stuff, and that's what we now advocate for because for both my parents, who have now passed, but my dad at 90 in my arms of natural causes, in fact, the first death certificate I ever signed in my entire medical career was my father's. And when I left government service, a nice woman came and said, Uh, You've never filled out a death certificate, doctor. I said, no, do I have to? And she says, don't you want to? I said, no, when I need to, someone will call you. And she went away. So I think you understand that I feel very grateful for all of it. But yes, I think we need to appreciate the humanity, the individuality, and the capacity we have today to look at the basics Look at your protein composition called amino acids. Look at the fats, good or bad, that you take in. How much processed food do you take in? Me, almost none. Come to my R&D center kitchen. You'll find lots of whole foods and lots of glass and ceramic to hold them. 
but almost no plastic, very little paper. We don't recycle a whole lot. And I'm glad to tell you that I have a 10-year-old permaculture biodynamic food forest in my front yard, thanks to my son, Sky. Um, so we can live well, even in this stressed time, even in the time of COVID-19. And for any of your listeners who are interested, we have a free ebook on how to reduce risk of mucosal or respiratory viruses, especially COVID-19. And the answer is the host, the individual is important. And the virus is actually not that aggressive. We're very fortunate that this is not a super aggressive. It is new. It is novel. It is infectious. But if you have a healthy surface, we call it mucosa. If you have a healthy surface from your lips to your tush, you will have protective elements that prevent you from getting infected if you get exposed. And, and we're going to get exposed. We're going to get exposed. And today, depending on whose data you look at, between 10 and 30 people get exposed, have no symptoms for everyone who has symptoms. And only a tiny minority have catastrophes. And actually, all of those catastrophes can be understood as an acute lack of vitamin C antioxidant and an acute lack of magnesium and choline citrate, creating a kind of cellular acid condition, acidosis, that can be catastrophic. Yes, sir. And there is evidence that if you get enough of the vitamin C in, if you get enough of the magnesium choline citrate in, the catastrophe is avoided. It's a choice. It's not, uh, it's not, um, it's not retribution. It is not divinely required. It is not because you were a bad person. It's because you had too little of the good stuff and too much of the bad stuff, and therefore you were vulnerable once you get exposed. So there's hospitality. Am I resistant or not? And then there, am I exposed? A lot of people are hospitable, but they're not yet exposed. Wouldn't that be based on genetics? 8% is genetic. 8%. 92% is epigenetic. Very important point. This was confirmed at NIH in the early 70s, in the mid-80s, in the mid-90s. 8% of your lifetime health is due to genetics, mom and dad. 92% is habits, lifestyle, and epigenetic. And there are four self-assessments and eight predictive biomarkers that cover all of epigenetics and do it functionally because we know the best outcome value for each of those tests. And if you're there, celebrate. And if you're not, there's a lifestyle program to get you there. Let's go back to when you transition from the lab, in a sense, to taking roles underneath these people you were mentoring from acupuncture to yoga, meditation. What kind of backlash did you get from the people you worked with and what was going on in your head during that process? Very interesting because I went as a skeptic, so I understood and appreciated their skepticism. I will say that I very rarely spoke to my colleagues with whom I was collaborating on science. I very rarely spoke about personal matters, about politics, about religion. There are some subjects in polite company that you just stay away from. <clears throat> yes, sir. 
But I will tell you that I had two very different responses from the people I did talk to, because my mentors, the people who were above my pay grade, if you will, I felt an obligation to tell them what I was discovering. I would say that half of them encouraged me to do it. Half of them said, look, we don't know all that much. As much as we know, we don't know all that much. Yes, this is the great National Institutes of Health, but we don't know everything. Go find something worthwhile. Bring the idea back. Maybe we'll study it. Maybe we'll get someone else to study it. Then there were half of the people who, before the sentence was out of my mouth, they changed the subject. There are many, what I would call, insecure overachievers in academic medicine. And if you think there's something they don't know, they get very uncomfortable very fast, especially the notion that there could be whole worlds of healing capacities or healing potentials or healing systems of which we were generally ignorant. I learned a lot about 19th century physiology. I even learned that the famous Oliver Wendell Holmes, who was both a doctor and a lawyer, was famously quoted as saying, if you took all of the pharmaceutical medications and put them in a great sea trunk and threw it in the ocean, it would be all the better for the patients and all the worser for the fishes. Now, I don't disagree with that, but that's an overstatement. Yes, sir. I have not written a prescription in many years, but in certain circumstances, I would. If you have certain kinds of pain, I might recommend morphine. Now, it's got to be severe pain. And by the way, most people do not get addicted. And you can get morphine in many different ways, including, and this has been studied, if you allow a person to have a button that gives them a small pulse of morphine before they're screaming in pain, mm -hmm. they use less. They don't use more. This notion that uh, everything that makes you feel good is a gateway to something that makes you bad. Not true. Just not true. And we have too often thrown babies and bathwater out together in regard to evoking human healing responses. Because to be very simple about it, if you're in pain, it is really hard to practice health promotion habits. Yes. When I'm in pain, that occupies my entire you know, horizon. And I want to get out of pain, not by suppressing it, but by learning from it. And six years ago, plus, I had a near-death experience. Uh, at other times, I've had other things that really got my attention. My father at 83 had a stroke in my living room and completely recovered. And once he recovered, it took about nine months, but once he completely recovered, and went back to his condo in Florida. Apparently, all Jewish men at some point have to move to a condo in Florida. Um, every day was the best day of his life after he recovered from, from that catastrophe. And I would, at that point, get to talk to him almost every day. So across the generations, across the culture, we currently, to do it at a high level, we currently bury early at high cost and suffering a million people, half a million from the ravages of diabetes and its consequences, a quarter of a million from nutritional deprivation, and a quarter of a million from the stress 
of the healthcare system. In most of the world, healthcare is a right of citizenship. In America, it's a privilege. If you want to know how healthy an individual is, find out their zip code. And if they're in a wealthy socioeconomic status zip code, they're more likely to get, quote, better care, maybe more, sometimes too much. But notice what I said. We spend $3 trillion this coming year in America on health care and sick care, of which one-third, $1 trillion, is spent to bury people at high cost with a lot of suffering early. That's not a good value. That's not a good uh, proposition, if you will, not for society and not for the individual. So, yes, I spoke at a high level, but I meet individual people many of whom are carrying more weight than they need. I used to be 65 pounds heavier. I lost the weight, and I'm not going to find it again. But I had to make some changes in my habits, including in the middle of the night when I'm ravishingly hungry, I'm going to eat something. (laughs) And I'm going to eat the least healthy thing in the house. So the least healthy thing in my house is nuts and seeds and, and, and maybe some nut butters. Mm-hmm. And I once gave a talk about this, and a woman raised her hand and said, well, I'd go out and get a Snickers at 3 in the morning. I said, dear, we'll have a different conversation. <laughs> I won't go out in the middle of the night to go get you know, sugar and, and, and salt and fat. <clears throat> but if you doubt that the food industry The packaged goods food industry knows how to make you crave certain processed foods, Mm -hmm. which translates into bad calories, too many of them, and weight gain over time. So I've lost the weight, but I remember having had it. And I remember how much better I felt once I lost it. And then it takes a while because essentially I was losing one third of my weight, which was all fat. I don't know if you and your listeners are aware of this, but the difference between a 150 pound lean person and a 300 pound overweight person is 150 pounds of fat. Yes, sir. And you want to lose the fat, not the muscle and not the bone and not the joints. And very often I see people who do want to lose weight, but they end up keeping the fat and losing the lean. No, you want to keep the lean and lose the fat. Is that just a stigma where we all think we have to sacrifice either losing the muscle to lose the fat, essentially? Or is there a way where we can burn off the fat but maintain and still grow muscle mass? Yes, yes, yes. So there's Dr. Susan Brown, Better Bones, Better Bodies, a colleague of mine for many years. We've written articles together. Yes, by the quality of what you take in, the food and the hydration, eat and drink. And by the way, while I want you to have lots of water and be well hydrated, I have a glass of wine almost every evening. Doesn't mean I have two bottles every evening, but I have, I like wine. And it likes me. And it's a food. It's a food to be savored. It is something to be sipped, not glugged. Red wine, I presume? Well, uh, good point. Yes, red wine has something called resveratrol. This is a helpful polyphenolic. And, and people have tried to concentrate this resveratrol. 
to the point where they gave the equivalent of 200 glasses of wine and a pill, and it didn't work. It didn't work because they tried to make it into a drug. And I know that one very well because a friend of mine, an acquaintance of mine, happened to buy the world's patents on resveratrol and funded the drug trials that failed. And I told him in the beginning, I said, it's not a drug. It's a natural product. And if you use it in synergy with other natural, he says, but that won't be a drug. That won't, that won't monetize you know, as a pharmaceutical. I said, well, what if it just saved lives? He says, not a bad idea, but I'm a businessman. He wasn't opposed to saving lives. He's a very nice person, by the way, um, and has been involved with some very successful companies. Um, but the mentality today is that if it's really, quote, valuable, then we can get it approved as a drug. And if it's, quote, just a natural product or just from nature, oh, well, that, that must not be as powerful as the um, synthetic workalikes that in my experience as a biochemist, physiologist, scientist, they don't work. I want you to have all eight forms of vitamin E, not the one synthetic form. I want you to have as much antioxidant or ascorbate as you need based on your C-cleanse. I want you to have a good, healthy digestion based on your digestive transit time. I want you to have a urine pH that says you have enough magnesium in your cells to deal with the acids of metabolism. There are certain things we know about good and ill health. And I want to promote good health so that ill health doesn't happen. Was that why you stopped writing prescriptions back six, six or seven years ago? Oh, long before that. Long before that. Um, if you look at most of the prescriptions that are written in America, they're anti-something, antibiotics, anti-stomach acid proton pump inhibitors, uh, anti-psychotics. Uh, anti this, anti that. That's based on, in my opinion, a fatally flawed misunderstanding. And the misunderstanding is that the body's a machine that breaks down and we need to patch it up either with prescriptions or procedures or interventions. And what we have lost is the appreciation that the human being, people, have healing capacities and if you evoke human healing capacities properly, you won't need to write prescriptions. I give lots of prebiotics, which is fiber, lots of probiotic, healthy digestive bugs, and symbiotics, recycled glutamine, to restore digestion, especially in people who have had antibiotics or stress-related uh, challenges. Similarly, when we look at the essentials, when we look at what humans need, there's much less of the good today and much more of the, quote, bad. And by bad, I mean anti-nutrients. There are many things that are persisting toxins. We call these persisting organic pollutants. They're hormone disruptors, solvent residues, toxic metals, uh, radioisotopes, and mold products. These are all abundant in the 21st century. And therefore, in my opinion, you have to increase the intake of the essential nutrients, the ascorbate antioxidants based on your C-cleanse, uh, the uh, urine uh, pH to determine how much magnesium choline citrate you need to deal with metabolic acidosis at the cellular level. 
because even a little bit of extra acid in your cell could convert you from 99% efficient production and synthesis of healthful renewal of yourself or 10%. Now, if 10% is good and 90% is off because you lack some of these essentials, that's a big metabolic burden. That's a big problem for the cell. So we want to bring people back to evoking their healing responses, starting with four self-assessments, these eight uh, markers that are predictive biomarkers. <clears throat> and then we want to look at your value to see, are you at your best outcome goal value? If you are, we want to celebrate. And if not, we want to give you a lifestyle program and over six months, add life to years and years to life. And in general, we can add decades of quality life to people. We've done outcome studies, community-based outcome studies in fibromyalgia muscle pain, in type 1 diabetes, and also in type 2 diabetes. And in all cases, starting from best standard of care, we showed dramatic improvement in six months of following a lifestyle program as guided to the point where we reduced the hemoglobin A1C, the overall global measure of do you have extra sugar stuck on your proteins, by a full milligram percent, starting from best standard of care with both type 1 and type 2 diabetics, we lowered their hemoglobin A1C by a full milligram percent in six months, adding on average 20 years of quality, low-cost life to their lifespan. There is no pharmaceutical that manages diabetes that can add that much quality life for that little effort. Therefore, we need both consumers and professionals to understand what it takes for the individual to evoke their healing response and then go do it. Just do it. There's a phrase out there in the, in the zeitgeist about, you know, no pain, no gain. I disagree with that. I disagree with that. But the other one, just do it. I've forgotten what company it is because I'm not that much into media. But there's a company that says, just do it. And, and I agree, but I agree from the evoke your healing response point of view, not from what shoes you wear. So for the, to answer that question there, sir, that's Nike with the mm-hmm. Hogan, just do it. It is, it is Nike. And by the way, they have a foundation. The founder of, uh, uh, has a foundation uh, that um, does a lot of health promotion work. The Nike World Headquarters was designed by NBBJ to include as an integral part of the space, all sorts of physical activities to get their people up out of chairs and moving around. And then they have a healthy uh, cafeteria. You can find sugar in it, but when you go to put your tray through the, the line, you get fresh vegetables and fresh juice, vegetable juice. Impulse purchases matter a lot. Yes. At Safeway, Safeway, big company, they sell food. At least they used to. Um, The guy who ran Safeway realized that the cost of sick care was breaking the bank and, and reducing their profits. And he did simple things like I'm talking about. Put carrot sticks and cucumbers and pickles at the checkout and put the candy on the side. Include live foods, whole foods, local foods. 
We could do this in schools for children, except most schools today no longer have a kitchen. They have freezers, they have microwaves. When you say, couldn't we bring in some whole food and make it in the kitchen? They said, where's the kitchen? We don't have, we don't have a, we don't have a stove, you know? Mm -hmm. So we, we really, uh, in the 20th century, we fell in love with a mechanistic model that turns out to be fatally flawed. Sir, if I may stop, stop you there before we go into that. I just wanted to backtrack a little bit and cover a couple of things. When you say human healing properties, Mm -hmm. are you referring to the malleability of uh, neuroplasticity? And also with reduction to hemoglobin A1C, are you referring to people with diabetes? Well, yes. So in reverse order, when we talk about hemoglobin A1C, we're talking about extra sugar stuck onto a protein. This is a test developed by a man named Paul Gallup in the 1960s. He was a mentor to me and a friend. And yes, we're talking about pre-diabetes, diabetes. We're talking about weight and energy issues. We're talking about all the consequences of disordered sugar metabolism because sugar should be converted into energy in a very efficient way inside your cells. And when the blood sugar goes up, because it can go up and down and up and down, and I no longer care what your blood sugar or insulin is, but I really need to know what the average extra sugar is. That's the hemoglobin A1C, and that's one of the eight predictive biomarkers. And we know the best outcome value it's less than 5%. If you listen to advertisements about diabetes management, they want to get your hemoglobin A1C to less than 7, and I want to get it to less than 5. And I will tell you, when I weighed 65 pounds more, mine was closer to 7. And now that I've lost the weight, for the last several years, we check me every six months, my hemoglobin A1C has been less than 5. Because I don't need empty calorie sugar. I'm sweet enough as I am, and you're sweet enough as you are. I do have sweetness from berries and whole fruit, but whole berries and fruit have fiber along with minerals and other essential nutrients to metabolize the sugar. So that's the second question. Now, your first question. Um, Yes, I quite agree in regard to evoking healing responses, there is neuroplasticity at every age. New brain cells can form at every age as long as the environment they are in is alkaline, not acid. And after 10,000 hours of active meditation, your brain does change. Richie Davidson at University of Wisconsin-Madison is a pioneer in that field. Uh, Matthew Ricard, known as the happiest man on earth, uh, wrote a book called The Philosopher and the uh, Monk. His father was a famous philosopher. He's a student of the Dalai Lama, who, by the way, is my daughter's godfather, one of the three. I drop that in every time I can. Um, And these are people who have greatly influenced not just me, but many of us. There's a group called the Mind and Life Institute. 
half advanced meditating monks and half advanced scientists. And the instruction under the patronage of the Dalai Lama is the monks will study science and the scientists will meditate. So yes, neurotransformation, neuroplasticity is possible, but I actually met something, meant something much simpler. Every part of you has to be renewed on a regular basis because it wears out. And no part of you is more than 10 years old, and that's your bones, large blood vessels and joints, seven years. Much of you is new, renewed, evoked in healing over the last few months. So this is your immune defense and repair system. It's your neurohormonal system. It's your digestive system. It's your detoxification system. It's the integral or the integration of all of that. When each of those is working in harmony with the other, then you heal spontaneously and you are resistant and resilient from ill health. And then, by the way, you get restorative sleep and you get up grateful for getting up because you're renewed overnight. And yes, sleep is important. A lot of us work until we're exhausted and then we fall into bed. No, you should actually spend about a half an hour preparing for restorative sleep. And you should actually stretch as well as move during the day. And I now have a device on my arm that tells me how many steps I've taken. And it motivates me to take more steps. So I think we can use technology to our benefit to help us, to remind us to evoke our healing responses by what we eat and drink, what we think and do, how we breathe and how we move has a lot to do with renewing our frame, our body, and our mind, and our spirit. Because there's something more than mind and body, and I'm going to call that spirit unless you want me to call that something else. No, that's perfect right there, sir. I just wanted to cover what you, something you just said that caught my attention with the environment being alkaline and not acid. Can you go into that? Well, yes. And here you quote Albert San Giorgi, the man identified as, uh, as uh, first purifying vitamin C from Hungarian paprika. He told a story, and he was still active when I was a young scientist, that he was the only Hungarian who didn't like chicken paprikash. And he thought if he took all the paprika out of the garden, his wife couldn't cook with paprika. Now, that was just an anecdote. That really wasn't true. He realized that certain uh, plants remain vividly colored when they dry. And therefore, they must have a strong reducing substance to prevent air from oxidizing and damaging and dulling them. So he isolated vitamin C. Then he figured out how muscles work, and they gave him the Nobel Prize for that. But he was most famous for saying, cells are acid by function, but alkaline by design. So you have to renew the minerals, particularly magnesium, and you have to get it in the body and into the cell because the cell produces net acid every day. And if, if you replace the magnesium, then the acid goes away and goes out in the urine. If you don't replace the magnesium, then the cell becomes acidotic. And now efficiency goes to heck. Uh, The ability of the cell to resist infection uh, goes down. Uh, The oxidation reduction potential goes up, and that makes you hospitable to viruses and parasites and prions and bacteria and all sorts of bad stuff. And then when you get enough ascorbate based on your C-cleanse, you restore a healthy low redox, and now those infections go away. Wow. 
Mm-hmm. I'm glad that was a wow, because <laughs> if you knew that before, I'd go on to something else. But yes, this is a wow. And yes, I came as a skeptic. I reconfirmed along with many others that it is true that we have needs, essential nutritional, attitudinal, environmental needs, that yes, we're marinating the sea of stress and distress and toxins today. What are we going to do about it? Well, we want to survive and not just survive. We want to thrive. And there are two fundamental states of being. Most people are in a survival state where they are hospitable to chronic ill health and chronic infection. And I want people to be in a state of high-level health. By comparison or contrast, I want them to thrive. I want them to be resistant to illness. I want them to be renewing all the time. I want their hormones and neurochemicals to be in balance and not distressed to the point where I know many people who will tell you, Whatever they do for the day, they have to do in the morning because after lunch, they get a little foggy. Mm-hmm. Well, brain fog is an indication that something's out of balance. We want you to get back into balance and stay there. I never thought of it like that with brain fog as far as being mm-hmm. off balance on the various tasks that we do. When you say do something in the morning, but then have to do in the evening, are you, you referring to a routine as far as? What helps? Oh, yes. Yes. In 72 minutes a day. Now, 72 minutes is 5% of the day. Trust me, do the math. It's 72 minutes. I want people to invest 5% of their time in themselves. I understand everyone tells me they're too busy to take care of themselves. Okay. So I say, can you invest 5% of yourself in yourself? Oh, that's not so bad. Now, what do I mean? Half an hour before bed, You do a salt and soda bath. You soak in Epsom salts and baking soda. And while you're in this warm bath and you come out pink like a baby, not red like a lobster, you do five minutes of abdominal slow breathing and 15 minutes of active meditation. And if you want the graduate uh, version, you add a green dichromatic light that harmonizes your pineal gland. And then you get out and you towel off and you might even stretch and rub your skin with a nice fluffy towel, makes it feel good, then you can get in bed. And some people, as they're falling asleep, ask themselves a question or a problem that they want to solve while they're asleep. Yes. And when you get restorative sleep, you could get to, shall I say, lucid dreaming, being conscious when you're uh, sleeping. Stephen Lobert taught me this in the 70s. Um, there are other ways when you are rested and restored, then your sleep becomes more productive. It's not what some people believe that when they're awake, they're doing something worthwhile, and when they're asleep, they're goofing off. No, actually, you must have sleep. And, and scientists at NASA and other places have shown that if you really deprive people of enough sleep, it's much worse. So there are ways of combining health promotion habits, what we eat and drink, think and do. Um, and that's an example, how to prepare for the transition from uh, active to restorative sleep. And, for example, in my bedroom, no Wi-Fi, no clocks, no alarms, nothing that interferes with the darkness of the night. 
It turns out your brain knows if there's a little light, no light, or a lot of light. Oh, yes. Oh, it does. And I don't need devices near me while I'm asleep. I know people who sleep with their phone and various other devices by their head in case they get a message in the middle of the night. Well, yes, in the morning when I get up, there's very often a whole bunch of messages, none of which, you know, had to do with the end of Western civilization as we know it. So I think we can choose to have a safer environment for our restorative sleep. Where I am talking to you right now, I have a fairly advanced Wi-Fi and Ethernet, and I'm pleased with it, but I know enough to keep it safe. And then on the other half of my R&D center, where I have you know, a bedroom and a personal space, mm-hmm. um, none, not needed. You could, for example, put your Wi-Fi on a timer and have it go off at a certain point at night and come on at a certain point in the morning. There are what I would call uh, adaptations that allow us to live well and thrive in the 21st century, but you have to be proactive in your own behalf. The default right now is making us sicker and sicker. And here I, uh, I'll finish with a quote from John Knowles, another one of my mentors. He said, America is spending ever more and feeling ever worse. And we call that the greatest healthcare system in the world. And then Tom Harkin, the senator, said, no, no, that's the sick care system. We're still looking for a healthcare system. And I want, with your help, to help people find the healthcare system of today and tomorrow, not the sick care system. I completely agree with you on that 1,000%. I want to think of a bigger number, but it won't explain the excitement that you brought to me when you brought up this evening routine, this transition, this transition from our daily active life, from being at work to home, and then getting into that mental state of preparation before bed. That is something that I continuously practice on my time and when i heard you describe that it excited me because it's like that is like my life that all right it's like it it's like i thought maybe i was crazy but then the benefits that are starting to be reaped as i continuously stay consistent in each application as far as meditation or a hot bath with some epsom salt and just relax my brain Make right. sure. and, and baking soda and maybe a few drops of your favorite cold-pressed oil. Could be lavender or some, some aromatic that you like. It turns out your nose is very wired into the rest of your brain. And if you smell uh, pleasant things, for example, I have certain uh, cone incense. And uh, I light them in the morning as part of my gratitude for getting up. Because I enjoy the smell of them. Mm-hmm. And then I rotate them because sometimes there's more rose and sometimes there's more frankincense and myrrh. Um, so, yes, I commend you for two things. First of all, staying the course. Perseverance furthers success. That's what it says in the I Ching. Um, yes, we have to practice before we can observe the benefits. 
Most people say to me, convince me that you're right, and then I'll practice. And I point them to the Bible. In the Bible, it says, Na'asevanishma, which means do it, and you will come to understand it. Not, not you're going to understand it before you do it. Practice is important, and you can't practice everything. And if you want to know how to get to Carnegie Hall, you've got to practice. But you can only practice certain things for which you have affinity, elective affinity, a wonderful book by Goethe about the fact that we all have a nature and we need to discover it and then live in harmony with that nature. I, by nature, am someone who likes to be with people. And today I practice social distancing. I wear N95 masks when I go out, but I invite people to come here and we sit outside without masks, but at a certain distance, and, and we have some beverages. And probably it's going to be water and something else. It could be Prosecco. I like sparkling beverages. It's called Italian champagne for a reason. It's a different technique, but it's bubbly. Um, I think if you, if you are willing to discover your nature and live in harmony with it, life just gets better and better. But most of us, and forgive me for saying this, many of us, too many of us, we live lives of quiet desperation. Yeah. We, we do what we're obliged to do or what we think is the, the, what society requires us to do. It's not what we choose to do. It's very true. I fortunately had a father who was an athlete, basketball player, played with Bill Russell and Bob Cousy and folks like that, Bill Sharman, and a mother who was a musician in the 1940s when women didn't leave the block of the Bronx where they were born, let alone, you know, escape into music. Both of them encouraged me to become myself. I'm not an athlete. But I did inherit my father's frame. A little bit of yoga, a little bit of stretching, a little bit of exercise, weight bearing and cardio. Now I have a hill behind my R&D center and I walk up and down the hill in these walking trails that folks have created for me. I, I, I like walking outside. I like what's called forest bathing. I like just ambling and seeing a new flower or something in the garden. But I'm not an athlete, okay? I don't go to health clubs. I don't, sorry. Some people do, some people don't. I do weight-bearing exercise. I do some yoga. I will do some Tai Chi. I will do some Pilates. I will do some Traeger technique. I was Moshe Feldenkrais's doctor. That was an interesting experience. Moshe Feldenkrais um, was a judo expert, world-class, hurt his knee, was told that the doctors needed to fuse his knee. He asked the orthopedic surgeons how his knee worked, and they explained something that he knew could not possibly be true. He rehabilitated his knee and became world-famous with the Feldenkrais technique. Dr. Milton Traeger, a physician, developed a technique called Traeger Movement Education. And Roger Toll and Dean Juhan have been my Traeger people forever. Dean Juhan wrote a book called Job's Body about why people are in pain. He wrote another book called Neuroreflex about how to get out of pain. And then Spiritual Aspects of Body Work in case you missed the fact that there is a spiritual aspect to moving your body. 
So I came as a skeptic to almost all of these, and what I found was my lack of awareness and the ability to bring it all together into one living system, a system through which you live better, not die on the sword of. I have 10 different questions that are running through my head, so I want to try to the show outline, but we need to backtrack and look at the biomarkers. We started off with the first one, which is the hemoglobin ALC. A1C, A1C, right. So, so that's a pretty common test. Many people have had it done. You don't need to repeat it if you've had it done. So the first of the eight is this hemoglobin A1C. The second is called HSCRP, high sensitivity C-reactive protein. And it should be less than 0.5. And this is your measure of inflammation and repair need. Then you have homocysteine. And it should be less than six. And this is your marker of atherosclerosis, coronary uh, disease risk. It's an all-cause morbidity mortality marker. And healthy people have less than six. Then there's the lymphocyte response assay. This is whether your immune system is tolerant or reactive. And if you're reactive to certain foods, chemicals, or medicines, you should substitute that away from them. You should substitute. Uh, we will tell you what to substitute as part of the interpretation of that test. Then there's a urine pH after rest, and it should be six and a half to seven and a half, indicating you have enough magnesium to deal with the extra acid of metabolism. Then vitamin D. It's a vitamin, but it's really a neurohormone, and the neurohormone vitamin D should be 50 to 80, even though the average American is well below 20. If you're below 20 compared to, say, 60, uh, the people with 60 have one-third to one-tenth the risk of heart disease, cancer, and autoimmunity. So regardless of what you might have heard, vitamin D deficiency is very common and correctable. But most people, according to Mike Hollick, Dr. Sunshine, they have trouble taking vitamin D from their intestines, so they need drops under the tongue, and it goes to the brain before the body, before swallowing. Then your, your fat ratio, it's called the omega-3 index. Omega-3 and omega-6 are essential fats. Omega-3 says repair, everything will be okay. Omega-6 says, oh my gosh, get excited. You need both, but most of us have too much omega-6 and too little omega-3. But that's why Bill Harris developed the omega-3 index, and it should be more than 8%. And I'm glad to tell you that when Bill first measured my own, it came out 13%. So I called him and I said, is 13% better than 8%? He <laughs> said, we don't have enough people up at your level. We, we need to do more studies. I said, well, I'm available. I'm going to keep taking what I'm taking. You keep measuring what you measure. And now we're almost done. We're almost done. The last one is a urine test. It's somewhat unfamiliar. It's the measure of damage to your DNA. It's called 8-oxoguanine. It's a urine spot test, 8-oxoguanine, and it should be less than 5 nanograms per milligram creatinine. So we have this available on a link for consumers at better labtestsnow.com, betterlabtestsnow.com. Uh, 
and you can download background information. You can get tests and interpretations to best outcome values, not to statistical ranges. So in laboratories today, you get a value and you look on the right side of the page, generally on the right side, and there's a range, and you're either inside that range or not. And I'm telling you, as a laboratorian and a clinician, you could just fold that under and not look at it, you'd be better off. But we can tell you what the best outcome goal value is for each of the biomarkers and how to get there. And that's what we've been doing through the PIH Academy, which certifies professionals and health coaches. It's what we do through Health Studies Collegium to document in outcome studies that this is really, really ready for prime time. And it's what we do through the laboratories and, and, and the portals uh, that we have developed so that consumers can easily get access to what they need and professionals can upgrade their understandings to help ever and harm never. That's a phrase that Rudolf Steiner uh, coined that I think is apropos. Help ever, harm never. First of all, do no harm. That's what you learn in medical school. Primum non nocere, if you say it in, in Latin. Um, but unfortunately, there's a lot of side effects. There's a lot of harm done today. Uh, unintentional harm, but harm because of the side effects of medications when physiology was overlooked to rush either to a workalike or a synthetic symptom reactive solution that I gave up on decades ago, and I think we should give up on tomorrow, today and tomorrow, so that we get back to evoking healing responses, which, by the way, is what mothers and grandmothers have been doing for generations. So it's a back-to-the-future approach that embraces wisdom, embraces all different cultural approaches. You tell me the cuisine you like to eat, I'll tell you how to eat in a whole alkaline way. If you eat a lot of processed foods, I'm telling you, you are creating your own problem. Mel Brooks, the 2,000-year-old man, in one of the routines says, too many Americans dig their grave with their forks. Wow. That's a harsh statement, and, and I, I don't mean it to be harsh. I mean what you put on your fork, what you see, what you chew, what you put in your stomach, and what comes out the other end. These are all things you can influence. If you eat in ways that you can digest, assimilate, and eliminate without immune burden, you will feel and function better, not just in the morning, but throughout the whole day. Well, it, it doesn't surprise me. I mean... The United States is the most fattest continent in the globe, and that's based off what we eat on a daily basis. And don't take in everything that you laid out in this deep analytical perspective on what we need based off our own individuality. I just wanted to touch base on a couple of things that was mentioned. One, you mentioned something about an ebook as far as where we can learn more. Can we go into that? Oh, absolutely. Um... Now, it's called Viral Risk Reduction. Uh, Justin will get you a link to it. Yes, sir. If you can, maybe you could edit at the end. But we have a number of links to resources that you can just download and easily digest. These are not big tomes. These are not 200-page review articles. If I remember the second advanced edition, 
which basically says three things. And you should read this, but the three points. Number one, you should be in elective protective mode so that on the surface you have secretory IgA and mucin so that in case you get exposed, the virus can't even get in. Number two, your innate immune defense and repair system. This has to do with 50 billion cells, each of which can engulf 50 different invading particles. That's two and a half trillion invaders can get neutralized in any moment if your innate immune system is defending you and is not exhausted. But most of us do not have enough essential antioxidants, buffering minerals, and cofactors. Therefore, our innate immune system is dysfunctional, not really defending us, and we rely on the adaptive immune system, antibodies, T-cells, immune complexes. Now you're getting closer to an overly active and under-repaired immune defense and repair system, an imbalanced neurochemical system, and then all hell breaks loose. That resonates with me like on a very deep level because I can tell when I stay up for a long period. Sometimes I'm a night owl where I'll stay up for almost 24 to 76 hours depending on what I'm doing and I can feel my body at its lowest point and what you just spoken in such intellectual terms is what I can see happening inside me as far as how my body is depleting. I'm not getting the proper nutrition and it's relying on my adaptive system to fight off everything when I'm not sufficient in antioxidants. Well, let me, let me uh, commend you for being passionate about your interests and wanting to immerse yourself in them. All good. However, I would also suggest that every few hours, five minutes of abdominal breathing, yes. a few minutes of organized stretching, and most people like one system and they stay with it. That's fine. You could do Hatha Prana Yoga. You can do Tai Chi Chuan. You can do Traeger Mentastics. You can do Pilates mat work. Um, but do something that gets you out of your head for just a few minutes. And nap. When I, there's an old, uh, old wisdom commentary, which is eat when you're hungry. Sleep when you're tired. Mm -hmm. And in Japan, they have a word that they put on the refrigerator, and it translates as follows. Close the refrigerator. You're not hungry. You're bored. <laughs> they pack that all into one Japanese word. It's true. I sometimes open the refrigerator, look in there. I'm not hungry. I'm just looking for something to do. Yeah. And if you have something that has the crave factor, has the salt, fat, and sugar that addicts you, ah, it's reaching for you as we speak. And I'm telling you, leave it in the market. What I learned from Beatrice Trump Hunter, among others, is shop around the perimeter of the market. That's where the food is. If you have to go down an aisle, be very careful. <laughs> In other words, it's best not to go when you're hungry. <laughs> oh, don't, don't go shopping when you're hungry. Oh, heaven forfend. Oh, the cookies just jump into your basket. Yes, 
I can tell you from personal experience, I have something to eat, a snack, not something big, but I have something to eat before we go shopping. And I'm working on getting more from my own garden. Most of the herbs, most of the greens, much of the fruit that we eat here is what we grow. So we know it's biodynamic and permaculture and sustainable. And yes, we're going to leave the place better than we found it, which is an old principle. I'm the steward for this place. Yes, technically, I pay the mortgage, so technically, I, you know, along with the bank, I'm an owner of the place. Um, but the more important point is, um, are you drawing from it or are you giving back? Are you paying forward for the good fortune you have, which is what I'm doing? Because I can't pay it back. The people who mentored me, who, who were so gracious uh, to put up with me, most of them have passed on. Bonte at 110. Pretty good. Pretty good for a guy who at 40 had three life-threatening diseases. Hmm. Pretty good for a guy who advised the royal family of Cambodia, Thailand, the Nehru family of India, and oh, by the way, he taught diplomacy to the young Dalai Lama when His Holiness fled in 1959. And I know this to be the case because it's an odd story, but we needed to get him a replacement passport. And a friend of mine, because he was so old, got the uh, duty officer at the embassy chancery to open on a Sunday just to take the application. But you're not going to get the passport. Guy, his name was Richard Ammerman. He went on to a very distinguished career. <clears throat> he comes out and he says, excuse me, are you the same Bhante Virabellum Dharma Wara Mahatera Mahatma who was the guest of the United States State Department in 1956? And Bhante smiles and says, that is me. And the man gave him the passport. And as we left, I said, oh, oh, sorry, first he says, you see, Russ, I needed passport. I said, Bonte, why didn't you mention that you worked with President Eisenhower and John Foster Dulles? He said, you didn't ask. If you don't ask, he's not going to answer. He never boasted. He just had it when he needed it, and he was there you know, to help when needed. He actually got Jarwal Nehru to overrule the foreign ministry uh, of India to allow the Tibetans to stay in Dharamsala, not moved to a Buddhist country and set up a government in exile, which really ticked off the Chinese. And just as an aside, I will tell you that I will not go to China. I'm on a list of people. It's not a short list. It's not a long list, but I'm on a list of people who has had favor from the Dalai Lama and others like Bhante. Um, and I don't need to go to China. I wish China well. I'd like them to have a different view of human rights and and democracy but in the meantime i might broadcast to a meeting there digitally uh but i'm not gonna go because i don't think i'd get out so i hate to be the bad guy to steer us away from all these oh no no sorry you're like, I really want to ask you a lot of questions, but I want to stick to what we were talking about as far as you were covering three points of the takeaway from that ebook. And that's right. uh, Yes, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for bringing me back to it. So, the other and most important point of the ebook is if you stay well hydrated, 
if you measure your morning urine pH and take magnesium choline citrate based on that, if you do a regular C cleanse to find out how much oxidative burden and antioxidant need you have, if you check your vitamin D levels, if you have any change in smell or taste, take zinc. In fact, a zinc lozenge is a good idea for anyone who wants to boost their immune defense and repair system. And then you might ask me, what is how much zinc? And the answer is it varies from person to person. However, and fortunately, if you take more zinc than you need, you will get a very specific kind of queasiness, which I'm not going to describe, but it's so distinctive that anyone who has had it knows what I'm talking about. And those of you who don't know what I'm talking about haven't had it. And if you get that queasiness, it's water-soluble. It's safe as long as you have kidneys. So take the zinc, whether it be zinc-rich foods or zinc lozenges, um, knowing that it is uh, rate-limited. If you take more than you need, you'll get this kind of queasiness, and then you pull back on the zinc. But many people who have had horrible times with COVID-19 reported that they had a loss of taste or smell just before they got sick. So Harry Henkin, who was a mentor to me, showed how important zinc is. There are ways of measuring it, but usually that's complicated. And physiology is very often enough to give you a sense of what you need. So we check the urine pH and we increase the magnesium choline citrate when it goes below 6.5, an extra dose of the two for every half pH unit. This is the kind of information and interpretation we include when you go through betterlabtestnow.com and have these predictive biomarkers because we want you to know what the best outcome value is and how you compare to that. And if you're at that, we want to celebrate. And if you're not at your best outcome value, we'll tell you how to get there with diet, lifestyle, and supplements. And in the 21st century, supplements are required. In the 19th century, they were not. In the 20th century, they were elective. In our current 21st century, they are mandatory. You cannot get enough of the good stuff to balance out the bad stuff in this 21st century without smart intake of whole foods that you can digest, assimilate, and eliminate without burden, and more importantly, supplements that are safer based on nature's form, not the synthetic workalikes that, in my experience, don't work. Just a caveat that on everything you said, it's also to get a baseline of yourself at your best and also at your worst. So then you know how to get back to the state you want to be in. Yes, sir. So I recommend these biomarkers every six months. And yes, it takes most of us more than one cycle to get to our best outcome goal value. Um, but you will feel and function so much better that I don't offhand know of anyone who has followed this guidance who would go back to feeling worse. They don't want to be in survival mode. They want to be in elective protective mode, the mode wherein you thrive. If I just have a couple more questions to wrap things up, then I'll let you get on your way for some Good advice, bad advice, what could you share for our audience? 
Gosh, that's a very good question. It's a global question. I guess the first thing is um, to look at yourself in the mirror and decide, do I want to live or am I willing to just survive? If I let the general social or community standards, which are not very healthy, if I let that determine who I am, I will compromise many years, probably decades of life. I will have more suffering than I need. I will have many remarkable opportunities to evoke healing that I miss because they're not priorities to me. And I had this conversation with myself. And I came down to the fact that I did want to live. I had reasons to live. I wanted to see what was going to happen over the next decades. The way I explain it is I plan to be dancing at 120 and I want my friends around, including you. Which means we're all going to have to be here in half a, in 50 years, half a century. Not quite, but almost. But I will tell you as a, as a footnote, I am functioning at half my chronology. So my birthday tells me my age, but my functional age is half of that. And if I can continue to function as a 35 to 40-year-old person for the next 50 years, it will be a good example of what we're talking about that I think we are all entitled to. I think it's our birthright to be well, happy, and healthy. But we actually have to change our habits. Agreed. We actually have to look inside more than outside. We have to look at who we are, what we need, and how to get that satisfied. And I mean the better part of us, not the part of us that wants drug, sex, rock and roll, and Snickers. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree with you anymore on that, sir. If I can just get a little piece of advice for our listeners over what we've talked about and how to get how to get them to take action over our core theme, what would you suggest to them? Well, the most important suggestion I have is don't rush. Again, the 2,000-year-old man says, don't rush for a bus, there'll be another one. He also says, stay out of Ferraris and small Italian sports cars and eat nectarines. That's, his, that's what he says. What I say is, you're worth investing a little bit in yourself and do it one item or one opportunity or one challenge at a time. If you try to do an everything makeover by tomorrow, it will probably be overwhelming and you will probably slip back. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you from experience, because for decades we have been teaching health coaches and colleagues, we have been teaching friends and loved ones, we have been teaching family and strangers how to evoke their healing responses, and usually the dividends, you feel so much better that you want to take on the next step and the next step and the next step. And it's one step at a time. Remember President Kennedy, John Kennedy said, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. It turns out that that's a Chinese uh, proverb. But he was thinking then about what Nixon did later, which is, you know, at some point we're going to have to talk to the Orient. 
And in my case, I didn't have to go there. It came to me in the form of Dr. Mishra and Bhante Dharmawara and, and others who lived what we're talking about. So I had really good mentors and role models. Today, fortunately, you can look at the Dr. Russell Jaffe YouTube channel, if you want, for other sources of information, inspiration, and, and, and conversation. Um, we can today <clears throat> access unprecedented amounts of wisdom or mentorship or just um, examples of others who have chosen to live and be well, analogous to ourselves. And if you live long enough and you make enough mistakes as I have, you usually have examples that they can identify with. Yes. So I want people to know that it is the natural state to evoke your healing response, that you don't wear out over time. In fact, no part of you is more than 10 years old. But I do want you to be able to evoke your healing responses, which means enough of the good stuff and not too much of the bad stuff. And yes, there are the toxins the environmental toxins, but there's also relationship. Do you do what you love? Do you love what you do? Are you able to express affection to those around you, or are you separated from those you love? Today, too many of us are isolated, maybe by necessity. I'm not saying I can tell you <laughs> that my own children who have survived to be 30-somethings, they don't call often enough but they seem to be thriving in their lives. And I rejoice that they are thriving. I don't cry about the fact that no child ever calls their parents enough. So that just comes with the territory. Um, and I have gotten to the point where I rejoice in my portion. I am grateful for what I have. And I want others to experience the same. Because now is the time to either choose life or be chosen by death. That's very well put on a level that I can't articulate at this point. I just have two last questions and I'll let you go, sir. One's a personal question. And I'm just very curious as far as what you take dietary wise on a daily basis mm. to maintain your good health at your age. Yes. Now this is me, but I get up in the morning and after showering and so forth, I make a pot of biodynamically grown pea berry coffee from Hawaii. And I sip on that along with water for the morning. I understand that for many people, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I don't eat until afternoon. Because following guidance from others, my calories come in between noon and 6 p.m. It's called modified fasting. So I have calories that get digested, assimilated, and used from noon to 6 p.m. But from 6 p.m. till the next noon, I have lots of water. I might have some wine. Uh, I might have some seeds and nuts, uh, but not much. Uh, why? Uh, because most of us are overfed and undernourished. We eat too many of the wrong calories and not enough of the right calories. So it's a choice. It's a choice that I have made that I urge others to make mm -hmm. because 
and I guess I said this before, you are sweet enough as you are. You don't need empty calorie sugar. You need the right kind of sea salt. You don't need the wrong kind of sodium. You need the right kind of antioxidant like nature's vitamin C, fully reduced, fully buffered L-ascorbate based on the sea cleanse, which you can learn about at betterlabtestnow.com. Or you can watch you know, the videos that we post. Now, the reason we do what we do is for people like you, the people who are interested, they want to understand, and they want to take action. They don't want to be overwhelmed, but they do want to understand for themselves what is it that will keep them well and functioning for the entire span of their life. Um, so uh, I am more hopeful and optimistic than I have ever been, even though I am realistic enough to know that we are spending a lot and not getting a lot of value yet for, for the sick care dollars we spend. And I think you could actually fund out of savings the transition from the current sick care system to a health promotion system that would save lives and treasure, that would restore fertility. We haven't talked about the loss of sperm and the loss of egg quality in young people today, and it's getting worse. You can, we haven't talked about the fact that Uwe Reinhardt points out that in just a generation or a generation and a half, everyone in the country will either be pre-diabetic or diabetic in a hospital bed taking care of the person next to them, and nobody's going to be working or paying taxes or, getting, or, 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 or earning money. That's not sustainable. We must go beyond where we have been. We must go beyond where we have been. We can. And if not now, when? Again, classic phrase. If I'm only for myself, what am I? If I'm not for myself, who will be for me? And if not now, when is the time to start healing and evoking our healing responses? I would say definitely now better than later. For our listeners, how can they get in touch with you if they want to know more about this? Yes, thank you. Um, as I mentioned, we do post a new video almost every day on Dr. Russell Jaffe, a channel on YouTube. There is also healthstudiescollegium.org. That's where my research gets posted. Then there's the PIH Academy, Perk Integrative Health Academy. And again, if, if it's okay, we'll send you the links. And if you could add those uh, uh, somewhere, that would be helpful because I couldn't write fast enough to write all this down. So we have many uh, resources for professionals, for health coaches, and for consumers because there but for grace go any of us. And since I've had the good fortune to come from where I have been, I feel the obligation to pay forward so that each of us can feel and function better, know ourselves well enough to live in harmony with our nature. And that means um, getting all the restorative components we need and staying with it. Because if I'm not important enough to me, how am I going to be able to take care of anyone else? If I don't value myself enough to invest in myself, why should anyone else invest in me? And yes, I understand that if you, for example, uh, stand in front of a full-length mirror and wiggle your tummy and stop wiggling, if your tummy still wiggles, you're carrying some belly fat. So there are ways of making self-assessments that 
allow us to know which one thing to do next so that we can then do a second thing and make that part of our habits of daily living. So this has been a great takeaway and I don't want to take any way of your time. There is so much to be digested and I can't wait for the show to get released. Again, I do appreciate your time, Dr. Jaffe. It's, it's been a great honor to sit here and listen to you talk. Well, keep doing what you're doing. Yes, sir. Thank you for your time. You're most welcome. All righty. You have a well.